The chapter and verse divisions in the Bible weren't added until the 1500s. The New Testament in 1551 and the Old Testament in 1571. So there are many important Bible stories that span two chapters, and it can be hard to see some stories as being continuous. I'd like to look at a story like this that appears in 2 Chronicles. The two chronicles are priestly recollections which interpret the history of the chosen people. We call them priestly because they tend to focus on the priests and the rituals and the temple of the Israelites. The two chronicles trace Israel's history from the time of King David until the Babylonian exile, where many of the Israelites were forcibly moved 700 miles east to the heart of Babylon, the powerful colonial empire that had conquered Israel. The second book of Chronicles begins with the construction of the temple, and it ends with the decision to rebuild the temple some 400 years later. It describes the reign of King Solomon, a period that was very prosperous for the Israelites. An underlying theme of Chronicles is that the southern portion of Israel, called Judea, was in a downward moral spiral. Despite the efforts of a group of reformers, the chosen people were degenerating, falling away from the path that God had chosen for them. But Second Chronicles is also a story of moral restoration and of eternal salvation for God's people. Here's what this passage, which begins at about verse 10 of chapter 5, and runs to about verse 2 of chapter 6, says, The temple has been built. Now the building will be filled with the Lord's presence. The temple comes to life as the ark, which contains the Ten Commandments that God gave to Moses, is installed in the temple. So despite the moral challenges that are facing Israel, we are at a high point a moment of great celebration and thanksgiving. The writer enthusiastically portrays the massed presence of the priests, the sounds of cymbals and of stringed instruments, harps, and singers, along with priests in white robes playing trumpets. What ensues is a service of joyous song. A supernatural cloud fills the temple. King Solomon, the son of King David, announces the opening of the temple as a house in which God can live forever. Solomon had successfully built the first temple, a feat that had been a very, very long-term goal of the long-suffering Israelites. Many of us, I would guess that all of us, have had moments of magnificence when we've experienced something truly glorious. The birth of a child can be a moment like that, or maybe signing papers on our first house. It could be something terrible that turns out to have an extremely good ending, being told that a cancer is in remission. There's one moment that was, for me, something very astonishing. It happened when the first of my eyes, my left eye, was repaired. When I was in high school, the optometrist started having trouble getting a correct prescription for my glasses. I seemed to have some sort of uncorrectable stigmatism. 
but they were able to get glasses close enough and I was just fine. The problem continued into college with it becoming more and more difficult to find a prescription that would fully correct my vision. As the years went by, my vision continued to degrade. I moved to Colorado when I was 27 to take a job as an assistant professor in the engineering school at the University of Colorado at Boulder. By then, I was having serious problems with my night vision. Red taillights and brake lights of cars would scatter into sharp fragments, blocking out much of my field of vision. Then when I was 28, an ophthalmologist in town had a hunch. She became the first person to properly diagnose me. She sent me to a specialist in Denver who had in his office a piece of equipment that at the time very few ophthalmologists had. He was able to use this machine to make topographic maps of my eyes, and that sealed the diagnosis. It's called keratoconus, which is Latin for cone-shaped corneas. Many people have a mild version of it. Mine was severe. Essentially, as I aged, the collagen in my corneas began to break down. The corneas are the clear outer surface of the eyes. They hold the clear, thick, ocular fluid in the eyes. They also pre-focus light for the lenses, which are inside the eyes. The problem was that as the collagen in my corneas degraded, my corneas thinned and they lost their structural integrity. Since there is more pressure in the center of the cornea than around the perimeter of the eye, my weakened corneas were punched out into a football or a cone shape. Thus, keratoconus, which means in Latin, cone-shaped corneas. My corneas also became very irregularly shaped around the surface of the cone because they were so thin and weak. My deformed corneas could no longer pre-focus light for the lenses, and so the lenses couldn't do their jobs, and so I couldn't see. Then in 2008, I received a donor cornea in my left eye. This was after many years of not seeing properly. The next day, the patch came off my eye. I happened to also be very, very nearsighted, and of course, the donor cornea was beat up and swollen from having been harvested from a donor and then transported and then surgically implanted in my eye. But even with all of that, with my nearsightedness and with the transplanted cornea needing time to heal, the very moment that patch came off, I could see far, far more than I had seen in many years. Here's an abridged version of the passage from Second Chronicles that I'd like to look at. Again, it spans two chapters. Nothing was in the ark except the two tablets which Moses put there when they had come out of Egypt. The priests came out of the Most Holy, and the Levites, who were the singers, all stood at the east end of the altar, clothed in white linen, having cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps, and with them 120 priests sounding with trumpets. The trumpeteers and the singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord. And when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music and praised the Lord, saying, 
for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. The house of the Lord was filled with a cloud, so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. Then Solomon spoke. The Lord said he would dwell in the dark cloud. I have surely built you an exalted house and a place for you to dwell forever. Well, I think of this passage when I think of that first day after getting my first eye repaired with a transplanted cornea. Cymbals, stringed instruments, harps, singers, and trumpets. It was magnificent. I felt as if God had stepped into my life the way God entered the new temple to reside there among God's people. I was overcome with a huge wave of thankfulness. Only because I was alive in the 21st century was I able to see. I remember thinking about all the millions of people who had come before me and were not able to get their vision repaired. But it was more than medical science that did it. I knew it was God. I had been blessed. I had gone from being legally blind to having vision that would soon, at least in that one eye, be 2020. And indeed, although it took some time, my other eye was eventually repaired. With a great blessing comes a great responsibility, I was taught as a boy. I had to honor the person who gave me the cornea by doing my best to keep my eye healthy and by living in a fashion that indicated that I had deserved that blessing. The restoration of my vision had a lot to do with my decision to retire early from my faculty position and to go to a seminary. I had led a life filled with gifts from God. It wasn't so much that I felt guilty that I needed to pay back some debt. It just struck me that I had an opportunity to show my gratefulness, to turn one beautiful gift into an opportunity to serve. It was King David, Solomon's father, who commissioned his son to build the temple. David declared that it would be Solomon who would be the leader of the Israelites and who would finally be the one to build the temple in thanks to God. And it was a truly amazing effort. The Israelites poured vast amounts of gold, silver, and other precious materials and the labor of a good chunk of the Israelite population into the effort. Today, most of us don't believe in building magnificent structures in the name of God. Still, we build churches that are meant to honor the name of God and to give thanks for what God has given us. And there's no denying that the Israelites were driven, not by the need to build structures that would lift humans up to a level near God, but by a sincere desire to offer up a great gift of thanks in the form of of Solomon's temple. It's a difficult thing today to find a way to give back to society. We're very busy and we have very little of our time to share. It's also become very expensive to live in America. But Christianity is struggling and churches that aren't open 
don't have the opportunity to strengthen the faith of those who are wavering, and they certainly don't have the opportunity to bring the next generation or the completely uninitiated to the service of God. As an older man myself, one of the greatest sources of joy that I get out of the job of being a pastor is being able to sit down with a group of children each week. Those children are the future of the church. If you're looking for a way to give, and if you belong to a church, try to give. That is one simple way of paying back for a little of the magnificent gifts your God has given you in your life. If you visit a church, though, and you're not a member, I suggest that you not give. Let them host you. Give them a chance to welcome you warmly and make you want to come again. Wait a while before you give. Once you truly feel that these people are people who do care about you, who have empathy for you, then give. For some people like me, it takes something incredible happening to them to make them take action, to see that life isn't just about them. It's about them and God and the rest of God's people. It took a handful of days for the swelling in my new cornea to go down. When it did, I remember riding in the car with my wife driving as she had for many years, noticing the details of the world that I had forgotten. Some of them were beautiful, like a flock of birds flying overhead. Others weren't so beautiful, like phone wires and power lines. But it was all such an astonishing gift to see it again. I remember going to church that first Sunday and feeling so connected with those around me. Modern churches are far from insular. Many churches have powerful outreach programs like food banks. During the COVID crisis, it was churches who fed many of the hungry. My church saw demanded its food bank double. When people come to a church to get food or clothing or Christmas gifts for their children, when they're made aware that it's a church who has provided school supplies and invites them to come and sit down and eat with the congregation, it touches their lives. Giving also benefits the giver. We are programmed from birth to feel a reward, a sense of accomplishment, a feeling that we are indeed children of God when we give. We give so that many, many people will live without hunger and without homelessness right now in this life. And we also give so that many will live forever.